Hey everyone, welcome back to Boston Strongcast out of Total Performance Sports in Malden, Massachusetts. We've got TPS intern Coach Soph on the mic today, along with our host Kevin Can. Soph and Kevin are going to talk about a P problem we see in many females on the platform. That's right, they're talking female incontinence in powerlifting. Sophie holds her Doctor of Physical Therapy from Northeastern University and is also former president of the NU powerlifting team. Sophie won the 63-kilo class at the IPF World University Cup in 2016, making her a world champion powerlifter and the world champion of nicest people training at TPS. This is going to be a great podcast, y'all, so make sure you listen all the way to the end. Here we go. Hi again, this is Kevin Can with episode four of Boston Strongcast. Today we got one of our coaches, Soph, who's going to discuss urinary incontinence uh, while deadlifting. Uh, but first off, Soph, say hi and introduce yourself a little bit. Hi there, everybody. My name is Sophia, aka Soph. I am an intern coach here at TPS. Um, on the side, I'm also a physical therapist full time. Uh, when I'm not doing coaching or physical therapy, I am a competitive powerlifter. All right. Um, so urinary incontinence, this was something that when we, we just came back from USAPL Nationals a few weeks ago, and one of the things that like really uh, struck me was how many females were actually pissing themselves when they were deadlifting. There was quite a few. Uh, this is something that you've actually experienced in the past, correct? Yeah, this is something I've experienced before go into a little bit of detail with that. Um, So I actually had um, a pelvic floor surgery done a few years ago. And after doing that surgery, the doctor was like, don't use your abdominals for a little while. You can't really lift, not too much squatting, not too much deadlifting. Um, To the point that when I did come back to squatting and deadlifting, my core and um, pelvic floor weren't really doing their job too well. Um, and I remember my first time peeing myself, lifting, I was squatting, grinded out this gnarly squat, and my coach comes up to me, he's like, oh, what was the difference? And I looked at him, and I'm like, I peed myself, and kept going. And you know, he's like, oh, well, good job, you finished the lift. But um, I knew that there was a problem then. So was there a problem before surgery, or did this come on after surgery? Um, this came on after surgery. I never really had a problem with it um, beforehand. While surgery is one of the things that can contribute to urinary incontinence, there are a whole different slew of problems that can also contribute. Okay, but in your case, do you think it was more just like the direct trauma to the tissue and the weakness from not lifting that led to it, or was there something else going on there? Um, Probably a combination of all the above. Um, I'm sure the pelvic floor muscles weren't the strongest to start off with, but they could still handle the capacity. But then after that month off, they really couldn't figure out how to do their job again. Um, so they just needed to be re-educated. Okay, so you kind of touched upon that there were other uh, causes of this. Uh, can you go into those a little bit? Um, yeah, other causes include age. You're naturally at an increased risk with age, um, pregnancy, child delivery, um, any form of trauma, whether it be things like sexual abuse to um, pelvic floor surgeries that can give trauma, um, even things like medication use, which people might not think of. Um, some medications have that side effect of being a diuretic. Um, yeah, basic causes of incontinence. Okay, so we're, we're mentioning incontinence a lot, and for some people they might not even know what this is. I know, like, for me, this is a relatively new topic that I didn't even realize was such a big issue until I was at 
raw nationals. Um, can you define it a little bit for us? Yeah, so what continence is, is essentially the ability to control your bladder, the ability to control voiding and to control stopping that void. Um, and incontinence happens when that system is not functioning appropriately, so essentially um, voiding without the intention to, aka accidentally peeing yourself. Okay, so it's not like these people are just walking around pissing themselves randomly. This is happening while uh, lifting weights. So can you explain a little bit on why when we lift weights that this can become a problem? Yeah, so there are different types of urinary incontinence. Um, there's stress urinary incontinence, which we're dealing with specifically here, where an increase in intra-abdominal pressure is what contributes to that um, inability to control the voiding. There's also urge urinary incontinence, um, which is kind of that got to go, got to go, got to go right now feeling. Um, and then there's functional urinary incontinence. Let's say you're elderly and you can't make it to the bathroom in time and end up peeing yourself. So that doesn't really have anything to do with the muscles. That's more an inability to get there. Um, but what we're talking about here is we're talking about our pelvic floor musculature and its ability to move when we move, like squatting and deadlifting. Okay, so... Can you go into a little bit of detail on how that musculature is supposed to um, aid us in bracing and how it's supposed to functional optimally underneath heavy loads and then explain what the difference might be um, when it's not? Okay, so we have a few different kind of muscle groups um, related in here. Um, so you have your actual pelvic girdle, which is the bow, like the bowl-shaped um, hip bone, essentially, and that contributes to inherent stability of the pelvic floor. Then our pelvic floor is lined with muscles, so that there's essentially three layers of muscles all shaped like a funnel that are designed to um, maintain that all the contents of your abdominals stay in there, your organs. Um, it also deals with changes in um, intra-abdominal pressure, so it's supposed to kind of absorb that pressure and then close off with it. Are these subconsciously, uh, these controlled with the subconscious, or are they controlled like by conscious effort from the individual? Um, these are both. Naturally, they are supposed to be unconscious, but when we think about it, we can control these muscles a little bit better. Um, but they should naturally be able to do their job without too much thought. But under, under load, there needs to be some conscious um, engagement of this musculature? Um, yeah, just with any musculature, think about your core, if you were to completely let that go, your squats and deadlifts wouldn't look too pretty too, so this is just one more muscle in all of the groups of muscles we're working here. Okay, so I know in a lot of cases when we talk about the pelvic floor, uh, the diaphragm is also mentioned because of certain alignment, you want the pelvic floor to be lined up with the diaphragm for breathing and stuff. Um, can you go into a little bit of detail or even if that matters? Yeah, definitely. So breathing is huge for a healthy pelvic floor, and both of them do go together. Um, essentially, your pelvic floor responds to changes in intra-abdominal pressure, which is caused by the diaphragm. Um, so when you breathe in, your diaphragm pushes downward, and so ultimately pushes everything in your abdominals downward, and at the very bottom of this is our pelvic floor, which is going to take this downward momentum, kind of absorb it, and then help with the recoil of the diaphragm, pull everything back up and in. Um, so breathing is kind of the cornerstone of where I start in terms of treating um, physical therapy or pelvic floor dysfunction. Okay, so that, I'm sure there are cases, especially with lifters who can lift you know, a decent amount of weight, where we're getting that abdominal pressure from up top pushed downward 
where it's just going to be a lot stronger in that direction and the bottom just might not be able to counteract that top half portion. Am I off base there at all? Yeah, no, that sounds exactly right. Um, I think one of the things people forget about with the pelvic floor is that it's not just one of those muscles that can stay really tight and hold it. Um, We need to be able to relax it and then recontract it. Almost if you think about your quads. Your quads aren't locked into extension the entire time you're squatting. They need to kind of eccentrically load that weight down and then take that momentum and turn it back around. And that's exactly how we want to think about our pelvic floor, almost like a parachute coming down and then pulling up and in. So on the way down would kind of be, uh, for lack of a better term and for easy understanding, would kind of be the eccentric portion for the pelvic floor. And then on the way up is where we kind of want to brace up against our uh, our diaphragmatic breathing or whatever we're doing to, to tighten up. Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, so are there ways that you would cue somebody in those situations? Because if it's a muscle that it can't stay contracted for a prolonged period of time, I mean, obviously, as a muscle gets fatigued anyways, it's going to be weaker and you're probably going to run into issues there. But are there ways that you would cue that for a female lifter that's having this problem uh, while they're, say, deadlifting? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so actually, I first start off with diaphragmatic breathing. Um, I think first you have to be um, alert to the or aware of what's. So going let's just on back up for a sec. Just like, let's explain what diaphragmatic breathing is, since we've mentioned it. Yeah, a definitely. Few times. Um, your diaphragm is your main muscle of respiration. Um, it attaches to the bottom of your rib cage, almost like an umbrella. When that muscle pushes downward. It kind of pushes everything down into the abdomen, into your pelvic floor, into your belly. So you almost want to think about your breath really going into your belly, full 360 degrees. And then as you relax, that's more of that passive recoil of the diaphragm just pulling um, itself back. So what she's saying there is if you watch yourself breathing, what you want to see is you want to see expansion of the ribcage and the abdomen, but you do not want to see the chest pushed up and the shoulders shrugging because that would not be diaphragmatic breathing. Okay, so make sure you're getting a belly breath. So when we say diaphragmatic breathing, it's just another term for belly breathing. Okay, so back on, we're deadlifting, how you would cue it. So we start with diaphragmatic breathing, and then where do we go from there? Yeah, and then we go into the infamous Kegels. So I think most people relate pelvic floor dysfunction, and they automatically think Kegel, um, made popular by the Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, But it's actually been shown while we've been exposed to this numerous times, over 50% of women do this exercise incorrectly. So first with the breathing, we bring awareness to the movement of the pelvic floor. After we have an awareness of that movement, we have to be able to selectively contract our pelvic floor musculature. Um, So just learning how to kind of pull up and in. A lot of women make the mistake of pushing out and bracing, and that's only putting more pressure on our pelvic floor. Okay, so when we're trying to engage the pelvic floor, so you mentioned the the Kegel and that most people do it incorrectly. So can you explain how they would be doing it incorrectly and how to fix that to make it more beneficial? Yeah, so the main problem is that when we push, we're pushing outward and downward instead of pulling up and in. So you want to think about it like an elevator. Instead of just letting it all drop to the bottom, you want to be able to um, pull it in and... Um, kind of cinch everything together almost to create a vacuum into the middle. Um, Places where it may go wrong is our Valsalva maneuver. 
Um, so naturally you're supposed to have this changes in intra-abdominal pressure. We relax it, we um, pick it back up. In powerlifting, we do this nice big breath hold, we get our breath, our air, and we hold that all into our stomach. So the key is you should be able to breathe while you lift. Naturally, if you're getting into your heavier lifting, you gotta do what you gotta do to get your lift, and I'm never um, going to change that aspect of it. But I think with lighter loads, while you're able to control all of these movements, you should be able to just casually breathe while you're lifting. So you're not holding your breath at any point during the lift uh, with lighter weights? Um, nope, I try to breathe into the bottom of the hole and then you breathe out on your way up and that helps get a uh, co-contraction of your abdominals, um, which are an accessory muscle to that breathing out movement. So that allows you to pour your core into it, which has also been shown to co-activate with our pelvic floor musculature. And plus it's probably decreasing some of the pressure in your abdomen yeah. during that concentric portion. Decreasing some um, pressure as well as giving you a little extra force to finish out your lift. Okay, so on top of Kegels, are there other exercises that you would recommend uh, to aid during incontinence? Yeah, so after people get their breathing down, their ability to do Kegels, I throw in some core work in there. So I have them coordinate their breathing with their Kegel, and then at the very end of the breathing out movement is when you contract your abdominals and get your brace going. Um, so and when just, you say the brace, you're saying both downward and upward pressure. So yep. it's not just pushing down, it's doing, doing both. Yeah, exactly. Almost kind of pinching everything inward. Um, and then after you get the abdominal control down, um, it's time to kind of work towards applying this to squatting and deadlifting. Um, so one of my favorite ways to do that is actually by doing glute bridges. Um, so part of what makes up your pelvic wall are actually two hip muscles. We have our um, piriformis and obturator internus that help extend our hips so that we're using at the top of the squat and the top of the deadlift, where most people actually tend to have their accidents. Um, so after we control all that, while you're blowing out and kind of coordinating the pelvic floor and the core, you're also gonna coordinate your glutes in there. So after we get all these systems working together in the most basic of movements, you can apply it to squatting and deadlifting. Okay, so for somebody who is experiencing this, uh, this would be just my um, recommendation as a coach. I'd probably make note of what percentage of one rep max that it occurs at. Um, during any of the movements and stuff, and I would probably um, train at a little bit under that and just try to strengthen that within the movement itself while building upon what Soph was just saying. So I would start with the breathing, build upon that to get the hip muscles involved with it, get the glute bridge, and then immediately take that experience that you just had on the floor and try to put it underneath load within the lift and actually practice it um, within the lift. Uh, do you have any ways that you would um, specifically train the movement itself during these times. So let's say we have somebody who's experiencing incontinence at, like you, you know, say lighter weights, like 70, 75% of one rep max on a deadlift. Um, what would you recommend that they do while lifting besides those warm-ups? Um, I mean, I would take any warm-up that you're doing and kind of incorporate the pelvic floor into it. You know, you're probably already doing something before you squat, whether it's squats up against the wall, um, if you do quadruped rocking, just making sure to kind of add this pelvic floor into the equation while you're doing your warm-up. So 
Um, so practice it all the time. Yeah, practice it all the time. Standing on the tee or like whatever you're doing, just like practice it. Yep. Research shows actually you want to be doing 25 to 80 contractions of these a day. 25 to 80? To 80, yeah. You should it's quite a big range. You should be able to crank them up. I mean, hey, I sit an hour with the traffic <laughs> twice a day. That That's at least 80 kegels yeah. right there. <laughs> that totally gives you your time to do it. Um, but, you know, I mean, me personally speaking, I actually went to physical therapy for this problem. Um, and I think people don't even know that physical therapy is an option for pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so what I would do is I'd go to physical therapy once a week. My physical therapist would give me some exercises to work on. Um, I'd go back and work on them on my own. And she, then she would kind of take the stuff I was already doing and teach me how to incorporate the pelvic floor into there. Um, so I like to warm up my squats with some jumps. So I do some squat jumps to get that explosive power. Learn how to put the Kegel into it. Relax on the way down, explode up and out. Um, so the same thing, and then that carries over into my squat. Um, so really just kind of taking the stuff you're already doing and learning how to incorporate the pelvic floor into it. Okay. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and this may just be pure coincidence, was that the majority of girls that were experiencing this pulled sumo. Now, it just might be that they, there were just more girls that pulled sumo, and it's just coincidence, like I said. But... Um, do you feel that if by spreading the legs out wider that it makes it more difficult for the pelvic floor to actually counteract that abdominal bracing? Um, or maybe I'm just completely off base, I don't know. No, that's definitely um, a great point to bring up. So the pelvic floor has the same rules as any muscle and we have the length tension relationship of um, musculature where muscles kind of have the optimum length that they want to be to provide the strongest contraction. If they're either in too short of a position or too stretched out of a position, they're not going to be able to contract as effectively. Um, so truthfully, there's not much research kind of done on this, um, but it would make sense that with sumo, we kind of have a greater stretch on the muscles to start off with, and it may be a little bit too long of a relationship to really get the strongest Kegel contraction that we want or the whole pelvic floor um, coming up and in. But, you know, I'd also say that I did see this a lot squatting as well, you know. I mean, I was lifting at Ronettes, and the entire time I was squatting, I was walking out to a puddle. Same thing with the deadlifts. Um, so I think it's both a squat and a deadlift problem. Um, I've actually personally never had it happen deadlifting. I've really only had it ever happen squatting. Um, yeah. Um, so let's get more into, like, your personal experience with it, because I'm sure it has to be a little bit embarrassing when it happens like on the live stream there's a lot of people there um how did you handle that um during that moment in time yeah you know i mean i i've thankfully never had like a full-on stream come out you know i know i got a little graphic on the live stream for those of you who are watching ronettes um you know i know some of the strong lifters they just wear a pad and they you know kind of go down that route and you can definitely wear a pad smarter sometimes, you know, we can do all this breathing and bracing, but what happens at 100% maximum um, contraction is what happens. So be prepared at the same time. Um, there's also like basic changes you can make to prevent some of these problems. Um, avoiding irritants like caffeine, drinking a ton of water and then going to squat. Um, I do the infamous pre-squat pee, which apparently peeing does not fully uh, empty out your bladder, but I might as well have it less full to start with. Um, but and like some of those things on meat day, just, they're completely unavoidable, right? Yeah. Like if you're cutting weight, you're going to have to drink fluids. Um, 
most people are doing pre-workout or caffeine or something. Yeah. So, like, it's just something that just might come with the territory of, you know, performing underneath heavier weights. Um, like you said, I remember seeing, like, one girl literally just rips, I want to say it was well over 400 pounds on the prime time of, like, 63 kilos or something, like a huge deadlift, and, like, there's just a stream of piss, and she just, like turns to her coach and she's just like smiling she's like I peed like you can read her you can read her lips like she handled it well but I would imagine for some that it's going to be um pretty difficult um you had mentioned that there were other forms of incontinence as well and I know we have a few members here that are a little bit older uh females that are still competitive in powerlifting. uh would anything be different for that population than it would for the younger population in terms of better preparing themselves for uh, dealing with this on the platform? Um, I mean, I really think the biggest factor across all literature showed that um, pregnancy and childbirth were kind of the biggest risk factors for comments, <coughs> so kind of having that discussion. I also think a lot of women aren't being steered towards physical therapy as a potential intervention for urinary incontinence. Because um, it's still a very growing field. So this is brand new, kind of just emerging over these n- past 10 years. Um, and truthfully, doctors don't even know to send their patients for physical therapy. Um, you know, statistics show that one in three women over 40 will experience urinary incontinence. And then of that third, only one in four will mention it to their doctor that it's a problem. Um, so I think that you got to put embarrassment aside and you have to have these discussions with your doctor and that there are things for you to do that can help this problem. Um, you know, and either seeking out physical therapy, they have electrical stimulation as well. Um, but there are options out there. Um, and it works. You know, I must say that of all the women that peed out there at Nats, I was not one of them. And that was probably my prouder moment. Um, but I did feel for all the girls that were experiencing it and um, kind of dealing with that. I mean, I think, too, where, like, female powerlifting, five years ago, I remember, like, we're down there and Kerry's looking at the 52s that competed at nationals over the course of the last five years. And, like, five years ago, there were... So this year, there were over 40 52s. And I think as the sport grows, and especially with the female population, you're going to see this more and more, and hopefully that helps bring awareness to it a little bit and it becomes less embarrassing for people to actually say something because they see it happen to more people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's something, I, I mean, I remember when I saw it a couple years ago and I was curious about it and I tried to look up information about it, there was nothing. It mentioned pregnancy and it mentioned childbirth and then it's just basically kind of uh, par for the course as you're going through those moments in your life. But it didn't, like, this is how you fix it. This is what's causing it. There there just wasn't that much out there, and I would imagine, you know, not a lot of... You might get that stuff in PT school, but not a lot of doctors deal with it enough to know any better or, um, you know, and the fact that you actually lived and you've gone through it, and uh, I think it helps in, you know, in that scenario, and hopefully we get more people that uh, go through that same process and you know it becomes more readily available information out there because it was out of all the stuff i didn't see one single injury out of 1100 lifters on that platform but i saw this happen to a lot of people so it is an important um topic that needs to be addressed so so you're a competitive raw power lifter and single ply 
powerlifter. What's uh what's next on the radar for you competing? Um, competing wise, I am just laying low right now. Um, put in a bid to potentially compete at the Arnold. We'll see if that works out. Um, got a few personal things I'm working on right now in the physical therapy world. Um, it was actually interesting. You brought up that there wasn't really much research on this pelvic floor stuff, and you know I realized that still now, as I was doing all my research, there wasn't really much out there. Um, but half of all female athletes will experience this. Besides powerlifting, it happens in like gymnastics, trampolining has been shown. A lot of running and jumping sports will experience it. So kind of going to bring a little bit more awareness to that. Um, I'm also currently working on pursuing a specialty in orthopedics. Um, so just finishing out some school stuff, working on that, and still lifting, getting strong. Don't undermine me. I'll still be out there. <laughs> All right. Well, Soph, thanks a lot for coming on. It's kind of a tough topic to talk about, especially when you've had some personal dealings with it. Uh, hopefully the ones listening to this gain something from it and they can... Uh, you know, take some of it and hopefully improve their training to make this happen at heavier weights or maybe not even at all. Uh, if they have questions, though, about some of the information here, where, where can they reach you? Um, yeah, you can definitely feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my email address, it's just my name, um, sophia.varis at gmail.com. Spell that out for them because uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows how to spell that yeah, name. Yeah, no, no one can spell that name. It's <laughs> S-O-P-H-I-A dot v-e-i-r-a-s at gmail.com um just want to say thanks for having me and everyone who's out there listening thank you for listening uh, uh, all, got. all right well thanks Soph, and uh maybe we'll bring it back on to talk about other female powerlifting issues at some point Sounds and good. uh in the meantime we'll see you in the gym all right peace let's do it